Welcome to Her Leading Story, a podcast that will inspire you with stories from amazing female leaders and give you some ideas to help you design a life and a career that's perfect for you. It's totally doable, and the good news is that you'll have me and our community of leading women by your side every single step of the way. Let's get started. I'm your host, Julie Artis, and this is Her Leading Story. Hello, hello. I'm so glad you're here this week, and I'm super excited to introduce you to my guest, Andrea Franks. Andrea is the Global Development Services Lead at Pfizer Center One. Andrea's main role is project manager when there are drugs or other medical supplies that are being produced by Pfizer through their contract manufacturing services. She has been at Pfizer or one of the companies that evolved into Pfizer for 30 years. She started out at Abbott and then Hospira and got rolled up into Pfizer. You'll be able to see how somebody's career can be in the same place for 30 years, but under different companies and styles of management. Andrea is a chemical engineer and started her career out in the lab. She was testing different kinds of plastics materials for use in medical settings. And at the age of 24, had her first experience supervising somebody, somebody who actually had a lot more experience than she did. So I'll invite you to listen carefully to that part of the interview, because I think it's instructive about how we can be in a leadership role and really, really learn from those we lead. Andrea is a certified project manager, and she talks a lot about that in the interview. I talk to so many people who are interested in project management as a career, and in some cases as a pivot. I think it's still a little bit cloudy about how to get into project management and how to get certified in project management. Andrea has been very involved in the Chicago chapter of Project Management Professionals and is really tuned into that community and shares with you how to learn more about project management, what the tests are like, how much experience you need, and really what it's like on a day-to-day basis to be a project manager in her current role. So I'll leave it at that. Let's get started with the interview. I hope you enjoy. Andrea, it's so good to have you here on Her Leading Story. You were one of the first people that came to mind when I was thinking about who I'd like to talk to. We've been friends for the last few years, and I am so interested in you sharing your story about your career. I talked to so many people who are interested in project management. And you're always the first person I think about with that. I also have worked with a lot of engineers. I think it's something about me having a PhD or something. And I know that your path to what you're doing right now will be totally inspiring and interesting. So 
why don't you introduce yourself and talk about the title now, but then we'll wind back to the beginning about how you got started on your current path. Thank you so much for having me. And this is so exciting. And I'm excited for you for this podcast. And I hope that I can be inspiring for your audience. So, thank you. Um, and thank you for thinking of me. So currently, I work for Pfizer. And I work in Pfizer's CDMO, which is Contract Development and Manufacturing Organization. Mm-hmm. We are called Pfizer Center One. And what a CDMO is, we work with other drug companies to develop and manufacture their drugs in our plants. So I don't work on any Pfizer drugs. I only work on the drugs of our partners. My title is Global Development Services Lead, which is a little fancy, I guess. (laughs) Own it, Andrea. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But what I do is I lead the development portion of the project. So once Pfizer Center One wins a contract with a a new client, Mm -hmm. I manage the project with the manufacturing site. So I'm the liaison between the client and the manufacturing site. And I manage the project from start all the way to commercialization. So when the drug is commercialized and goes on sale on the market, mm-hmm. then it's taken over by a different group within Pfizer Center One. So it's usually two, three, four, sometimes five-year projects. Long. Right. Are you allowed to tell us one of the drugs you've worked on? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have confidentiality agreements. I thought I'd clients. try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how'd you get here. I recall that you have an education background in in engineering. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Iowa, and I have a master's degree in material science and engineering from Northwestern. And did you get those back to back or did you take a break and work? Oh, you did. Back to back. Uh And when I was finishing my master's, there was a whole bunch of people finishing and we were all sharing the list of companies that we were sending out resumes to. So these poor companies were getting resumes from a million graduate students. Right. <laughs> it was like, oh, who are you using? Oh, here, here's my list. So I sent a resume to Abbott Laboratories mm-hmm. and got an interview. I also got an interview at Caterpillar in Peoria. Mm-hmm. So quite different working, you know, Caterpillar would have been working in their rubber materials for like tractor tires and things like that. And of course, Abbott at the time was medical drugs and devices. So I ended up working at Abbott in the hospital products division, which mm-hmm. was all sterile injectable drugs and sets and IV bags and pumps and everything that's used in a hospital, including the injectable drugs. My first job was an associate chemist. I wasn't even called an engineer. I was literally working in the chemistry lab in the materials lab doing testing on plastic materials that were used in IV sets and devices. Wow. Yep. So that was my job. So there's in the USP, there's a, a, a list of tests that all plastics have to pass. And we were the lab that would do those tests. Oh, I see. Plastic materials. Yeah. Okay. So, and was yeah. it really, or was, you know, <laughs> repetitive? I'm just saying it sounds very repetitive. 
Yeah, it was a little repetitive. At one point, they let me develop a new method, which was kind of interesting, even though I wasn't oh. a chemist and I didn't have a chemistry degree. It was a very simple method. So I, I got to work in a little bit in method development. But yeah, that was my first job. And from there, I moved over to tech services doing more engineering work. So I was a product engineer for mm -hmm. IV sets, for some pump sets and needles, anything that had a needle in it. So catheters, butterflies. From there, I moved into the IV solution side, and I managed the group of engineers that worked on the IV bags. So anything that had to do with an IV bag, that was in my group and within my responsibility. And then from there, I became a project manager. At one point, Abbott was standing up a PMO, a project management organization, and they were looking for project managers. And up until this time, I was tapped on the shoulder for every job. I didn't actually apply for any jobs. I was tapped on the shoulder. Interesting. And so they tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we think you'd be a great project manager. And so all of a sudden, my title is project manager, but I had no formal project management training. I see. I see. And so I was working as a project manager. And in that time, I worked in Abbott's. CMO, which was called one-to-one, -one, which was contract manufacturing. So mm -hmm. I had got a flavor for contract manufacturing and really liked it. And during that time I, I got married and then I got pregnant with my daughter and I wanted to go part-time and my uh -huh. manager was not really happy about that. So I took a job share. Another... I didn't know this story. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I took a job share with another woman who already had a child and was also pregnant. And this would have been in like the early 2000s. Is that right? It was before we were spun off. So yeah, it was probably like 99, 2000, something yeah. like that. And right. so I took this job share and it was as a project manager and we each had our own projects and we each worked different days of the week. Mm -hmm. And our manager was, he was great. I mean, he touted this, hey, in this one position, I have, you know, 30 plus years of experience and yeah. right? So he was great about it. And if something came up on a day that I wasn't working, my colleague would you know, say, is this urgent or can she call you back tomorrow? You know, like it was not yeah. a big deal, right? So yeah. we just, we made it work and it was really great. And I just- It was worked. like you're- yeah, it's like you're experimenting with workplace flexibility before mm -hmm. it became a thing. It was kind of a thing. Abbott was trying it out and they were really trying to mm -hmm. be more flexible. So in that role, I was working in like moving products from plant to plant and closing plants and things like that. And during this time, Abbott spun off the hospital products division to become Hospira. And so I stayed in that job because there was a ton of work. Once we were our own company and we were yeah. separating from Abbott, we had to move products around from different plants to another plant. And I closed a plant yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then I moved an entire product, an entire piece of equipment that was manufacturing a certain injection device from our plant to a third party contract manufacturer. So I moved, I like had that equipment disassembled. So a huge project. Yeah, big projects. Yeah. I was managing million dollar plus projects and it was great. I loved that job. And then when everything was kind of done and Hospira was up and running and we, there wasn't a whole lot more work to do, again, I got tapped on the shoulder and they offered me a job in 
corporate purchasing. And I was oh. like, okay. So that was an interesting um, sort of growth opportunity. That was probably the most boring job. I've had, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of contracts, a lot of legal work, a lot yeah. of working with lawyers and reading contracts day in and day out and negotiating prices. I mean, that was, yeah, that was kind of boring, but I stayed there for two years and then Hospira downsized and I was let go at the very end of the downsizing. Wow. And 23 and a half years of experience working for Abbott and Hospira. That was a real blow to my ego because up until then, like I said, I mean, tap on the shoulder here, move up, tap on the shoulder here, move up, you know, take this job, take that job, you know, stellar performance reviews. And all of a sudden I'm not needed anymore. Did you make of it? Like, so you said you were starting to say that your entire group, our entire department was let go. I worked in the direct purchasing. So things that were, there was direct and indirect, indirect is things like, you know, Kleenex and office furniture and direct is anything that touches the products. anything that goes into the product. So they had brought in a new VP of corporate purchasing and she wanted to bring in her own people. I see. So they let go everyone in our department, except for one or two people, all of the managers that I was a purchasing manager, we were all let go. Um, And so I was like, well, you know, 23 years though. Yeah. 23 years, but it wasn't long before I put it on LinkedIn, you know, that I was looking for a job and Mm -hmm. people that I had worked with at Hospira contacted me to come and work with them in a consulting firm up in Kenosha. So I did that for six months. So Uh, wait, what year was this? Do you remember? Like this was March of 2010. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, and so and you didn't terrible. take a, much of a break. You immediately put it out there that you were looking. Yes. <clears throat> and every single one of the clients that I had, my vendors that I was working with, they all contacted me and were like, how could they do this to you? I mean, I felt mm. very supported by the people yeah. that I knew and who knew yeah. me. And I just knew it was this organization. They didn't know me. They didn't want to get to know me. And she just wanted to bring in her own people. And she did. She brought in a whole bunch of people from where she came from. So yeah, but she didn't end up lasting long with Hospira because interesting. six months later, I was hired back into Hospira. Are you in kidding project me? Management. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the weird thing is I was very unhappy once they brought in this VP. I could see the writing on the wall and I was already looking to get out. I see. I see. And so I had put out some feelers, but this layoff came before anything had materialized. And so I took this consulting position and, and then I got a call from someone at Hospira saying, Hey, I heard you're a good project manager. And literally what he said to me was, I hear you get stuff done, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know this guy. I had interviewed with another person that knew him. And then I got let go and that didn't materialize. So this other woman that I'd interviewed with had told the guy that ended up hiring me to call me and interview me. So again, just your reputation, your legacy. So I interviewed and they basically offered me my full salary, all my 
options and everything came back, like no break in service, even though I had been gone for wow. six months. It was 2010. I mean, I the yeah. economy was terrible. Terrible. The job yeah. market was terrible. I was on unemployment, so I was, you know, yeah. sending out re- resume after resume after resume, but nothing was materializing. And except for this part-time consulting job that I had, which was paying me an hourly salary, which was fine. I was, that was great. And I had yeah, yeah. severance. So I mean, financially, I was fine. But you know, when they offered me my position back, my same grade and salary and everything, I was like, okay. So I came back. Mm-hmm. And it was in their contract manufacturing. Oh, yep. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you didn't really like this procurement job. And I mean, it was fine, right? But it sounds like it wasn't the best match for you. And then that's what you get let go of. And then your reputation as a project manager ends up landing you this completely other position that's more in line with what you did before that procurement job. They're matching what you made before, which is kind of cool. I mean, yeah, exactly. Bounced right back. Yep. And there were only, so Hospira laid off 10% of their workforce two people got hired back. I was one of two people that got hired back. Wow. So that was kind of weird. And then running into that old boss was very interesting when I would have to deal with Uh her. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I bet. That's always fun. That's not awkward at all. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Did you feel like when you came back, were you resentful at all toward either the organization or... C-suite management for putting you through what you'd been through? I was resentful when I got let go because I felt like what I deserved was a certain amount of time to find a different job within the company. But what they did was call me in to an office with an HR person sitting there and push a severance offer across the table at me and said, you have 72 hours to sign this or you don't get your severance and pack wow. up your stuff. So there was no, hey, we don't have a place for you here in this organization, but you can have three months to find another job. Because I really feel like I would have been able yeah. to find another job within that three months. But in the end, I got the summer off with my daughter and right. full pay. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> the severance package was decent. It wasn't fantastic, but I got to keep my pay and benefits and I got 36 weeks of severance. When I came back after six months, if you got a full-time job with benefits during this time that you were on severance, your severance would stop and they would pay you 50% of what was left as a lump Mm -hmm. sum. I never got that 50% of what was left. And there was no stipulation that if I came back, but I didn't push it because I got a bunch of other things coming back. (laughs) Right. Right. And so how long were you in that position? So that was end of 2010. And then in 2014, Pfizer bought Hospira. Okay. At the end of 2015. So basically I've never left that position. I have been in there in the contract manufacturing organization as a project manager since 2010, but it's been it was Hospira for like four and a half years and now it's Pfizer. So we've changed names. Right. And in 2018, Pfizer reorganized when Ian Reid left and Albert Borla took over. Of course, Albert reorganized. And a lot of the legacy Hospira people from my group 
were were let go and the severance package was amazing and i was like yes give me a severance package <laughs> <laughs> but as a project manager they knew they needed project managers so yeah it's weird because a lot of the people that had been in the hospira contract manufacturing organization very few of them are left is me and one other project manager and probably two or three people in business development wow and everyone else is Pfizer. It's also interesting that it's not just that you've been in the same organization since 2010. Essentially, you've been in the same organization in different roles and responsibilities and made it through mergers and acquisitions, yeah. <laughs> right? Over the years. But it sounds, years. yeah, that's incredible. 36 years, basically, with the same company under three different names. Yeah. How long have you been doing the management piece for about half of that? Um, let's see, 2010. Yeah, at least half of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had done that before you did that procurement piece right. and all of that, right? And then you yeah. just returned to it. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about project management in general, getting into project management. I know you got certified at some point along the way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like what, if somebody's interested in project management, And it seems like there's an increasing need for project management in all sectors, especially because in the tech sector, in software development, in product development, in drug and, you know, hospital Mm -hmm. supply development, that this field isn't going anywhere. And that is really key to organizations really being able to do quality control, make sure that they're keeping track of everything that's going on with all the different things that they're building or producing or making. And so for somebody like me, I don't think I ever heard of project management as a career, right? When mm-hmm. I was going to high school and college, and maybe you didn't even nope, know. Of it I didn't a- either. Okay. I know there's new degrees being developed in it or certificates like through universities or you Mm -hmm. can do online project management courses through Google and all that kind of thing. But if somebody, somebody has a completely different kind of career and they think they might want to pivot to project management, what is your advice? Yeah, that's a great question. And because I am passionate about project management and I'm passionate about bringing in the next generation of project managers because as you said every industry not even industry but like teaching and all that project management is so important and honestly we are all project managers of our own lives I mean planning a vacation is managing a project right when if you're planning a big vacation or you're having a dinner party that's a project I mean so learning project management skills is something that everyone can do. So Mm -hmm. what I would recommend is if you're not familiar with project management, you can go to PMI.org, which is Project Management Institute, which is the global organization that certifies project managers. And there's others, but PMI is the biggest and the oldest. Mm -hmm. I think I want to say 150 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's old. There's also a website called projectmanagement.com, which is affiliated with PMI. And there are videos that you can watch and webinars and things that are free. So do some research. And then if you're already a project manager 
and maybe you're called a project manager, but you don't have any certification, you don't have any formal training, those are things you can also learn about on PMI.org. And if you've been doing project management, you've had formal training, but you don't have your certification, I didn't get certified until 2016. And I started managing projects in probably 1998. Oh, wow. Okay. But I didn't need the certification. Hospira didn't care that I wasn't certified. But as soon as Pfizer <laughs> bought Hospira, I was like, yeah, maybe I need to have that PMP right. after my name. <laughs> so the certification to be, to get a PMP is a, it's a very lengthy application on PMI.org. And you have to show that you have so many hours and it's hundreds of hours of experience in project management. So you put in all this information about the projects that you've managed. And then they come back and they say, yes or no, you are qualified to take the exam. Uh, But the exam is a four hour, 200 question exam. And I highly, highly, highly recommend if you're going to take the exam that you take a boot camp class or some sort of class to learn how to take the exam. I studied by myself for six months. Wow. Um, I didn't take any classes. I did sign up for some online practice exams, which was invaluable. I would recommend that highly, but in hindsight, I should have taken a boot camp. I passed it on the first try, but I should have taken a boot camp class because it would have been a whole lot less time. And I could have done it closer to the time that I was taking the exam. So you pay a fee and and you set the time for your exam. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't pass it, you don't get your feedback. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You have to pay to take it again. I think it's a reduced fee the second time if you don't pass it, but you still have to pay again. But they also have certifications for people who don't have that much experience. So there's something called a Certified Associate Project Manager or CAPM, C-A-P-M. And so that's a a great way to get into project management is to get that certification through, again, through PMI.org. That's super helpful. I didn't know that distinction. When you were talking earlier, it doesn't sound like you need the PMP to get the job because it sounds like you need lots of experience exactly, exactly. to get the PMP. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is there's this other sort of more entry-level mm-hmm. associate project manager that you can get certified in that. Right. And then that might open some doors or exactly. allow you to move laterally or get promoted at your current organization. Exactly. And there are, again, boot camp classes that you can take to learn about the CAPM and to pass that exam. I don't know what that exam is because I've never taken it, but I do know the PMP is 200 <laughs> questions and you get four hours. And I used every minute of those four hours. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> That's great. I think that's super, super helpful. Also, just talking to someone who you know is a project manager and asking them what they do. People ask me, what do you do? And my standard answer is, I herd cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this gets to the leadership portion of the podcast, right? Because one of my questions was, you've had this long career with many different roles at this organization. And at one point you said that you were managing engineers. Was that your first management job? No. Interestingly, when I went back and thought about this, my first leadership role was in my first position in the lab. After a few months, my manager came to me and said, we're going to have Nancy, who was a lab tech, reporting to you. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. And here I am, you know, 24, 25 years old. (laughs) Nancy had been with Abbott for 30 plus years. 
So she was kind of at the end of her career and I was Mm. at the beginning of mine. And that was really interesting. She knew everything about her job. She knew everything about the standard operating procedures. She knew everything about the regulations. She knew how to do her job backwards and forwards and blindfolded and with her hands tied behind her back. And so I had to respect that. Yeah. And what I learned from being her manager was that she was actually teaching me. Yeah. I had to respect her for who she, even though she had never gone to college and she was a lab tech, she knew a whole lot more than I did. Right. Right. And that was really humbling to just realize that I need to respect her for what she brings to the table and have her teach me. Yeah. And she was very receptive to that. I was lucky because some people might not be receptive yeah. to that, but she was. And we we had a really good relationship. Well, but that also speaks to your ability to have good connections with people that you work with and respect, not just the title, but the mm-hmm. experience and the amount of hard work people have put in and be open to learning mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm in charge my way or the highway. <laughs> Did you ever have any weird moments with her because of that? Maybe just at the very beginning when they told her that she would be reporting to me, here I am fresh out of graduate school and she's been doing this job for 30 years. And <clears throat> she remembered when Abbott was like a family business. And so it was interesting for me, it was realizing that just because I'm her boss doesn't mean I know more than she does. Mm -hmm. And that's a lesson that I've kept with me. So even again, in that, when I was managing engineers, I didn't know anything about IV bags. I came in as the manager of this group. I had four engineers reporting to me and I sat down with each one of them and I said, tell me about what you do. Tell me what's the hardest part of your job, asking them questions so they could teach me. what I needed to know, and then what was important. And one of them was the difficult employee. And a lot of people didn't get along with him. Mm -hmm. And people would ask me, how do you work with this guy? There were a couple times, like he would come in late and not call. And there were times I had to just sit him down and say, hey, you know, not acceptable. But most of the time, He knew he had so much knowledge and he was really good at what he did. And even though he was kind of a jerk to a lot of people, he knew that I had his back, that I was going to be the buffer for him. Yeah. And also I got him promoted and I got one of my other engineers promoted to the next level. Wow. And so I knew that, he could bring a lot to the table if I could just get him to tone down his rhetoric sometimes. <laughs> but how did, how did you establish that? Did you know him before you became the manager of that group? I knew him, but I think just letting him know how much I respected his knowledge and what he brought to the table. Yeah. And letting him know that I wasn't there to tell him what to do, just mm-hmm. to bring out the best in him. Well, you make it sound easy, but of course, (laughs) with some people, it can be really difficult to be in situations like that. As I'm talking to more women in leadership positions, and as I'm 
reading the literature on what it means to be a good leader, this idea that we have come to people human to human, Mm -hmm. person to person with respect, it changes everything, right? In terms of not getting caught up in role or the hierarchy or the bureaucracy in some sense, right? Of what needs to be checked off, but instead really talking to your people and really understanding where they're coming from and what their gifts are and what their contributions are. It's a long game, right? I'm sure it took a while for him to trust you. Yeah. And he pushed the boundary by coming late a few times or not coming in and not calling. And he was testing, right? How much can I get away with? You know, as much as I respected him, there were times that I had to sit him down and say, this is not acceptable. And it was like the bully, you know, trying to get away with stuff. Yeah. Just trying to see where your boundaries were and Mm -hmm. what he Mm -hmm. could get away with. And then did that stop? It did. Yeah, Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, wow. just if, if your car doesn't start, just give me a call and say, hey, my car didn't start and I'm going to be late. Okay. You, yeah. You know, that's it. It was an interesting experience. And the one thing I didn't like about managing people was having to do performance reviews. <laughs> it's the worst. It it's is. The worst. <laughs> and as a project manager, at least in my organization, we're matrixed. So I have nobody reporting to me. I have no direct reports, but I have the responsibility of getting these people to do their tasks in the project. And so that is always a little tricky because I always say project management is 80% relationship building and 20% managing projects. Because if you build those relationships and you build the trust with the people who are working on your projects, your team, then they're going to want to work for you. They're going to want to do the work. And they're also going to come to you to say, hey, I have a conflict and I have conflicting priorities and I I can't get this done and this done. So can you help me? Right. And Mm -hmm. so then that's my job to say, okay, what's the other priority? Then I go to that project manager or to their direct manager and say, Mm -hmm. here's why I need this done. Can we make a deal? But again, my people know that I have their back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the most important thing. Well, and that's, again, the long game of establishing trust Mm -hmm. with people. And this matrix model, and this is a characteristic of the organization that you're in right now, is that Mm -hmm. you don't have direct reports, but you're, quote unquote, herding cats because you're trying to get all of these people in the matrix (laughs) to complete all of these different tasks toward the completion of some sort of drug or medical technology moved forward and out in the market. Exactly. So for example, if we're working on analytical methods, I have two or three chemists on my team. There's your core team and then the extended team. So there's usually one chemist who'll be the core team member. They come to all the team meetings and they're reporting on the status of the chemistry activities. None of those chemists report to me. They all report to different managers. And so One chemist might say, well, my manager told me that this other project is a higher priority. And so I'm not going to get to work on this this week because I've been pulled into this other project. So then if I'm expecting that task to move forward that week, 
mm-hmm. then someone has to come to me and say, Hey, Andrea, we have this conflict <clears throat> and the chemist can't work on this. Then I can look at the project schedule and say, can we afford that delay or not? And if we yeah. can't afford that delay, then I have to go to another manager and work out a deal. It sounds like it, the matrix structure has areas of specialization yeah. and mm-hmm. you need to cross <clears throat> all of those areas exactly. of specialization to get a project done. And so those areas have their own managers, but you're going across all of them in order to try yep. to get them to magically work on your project. <laughs> and are you competing with other project managers who have their own priorities as well? Sometimes. Not- yeah. yeah. Not all the time, but sometimes. So there's two models. There's the matrix model where the project manager has no direct reports. All of their team members have functional managers. Yeah. And then there is the core team. Everyone reports to the project manager or they and the project manager report to the same mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. and they're a hundred percent dedicated to that project. So there's either model, but Pfizer, well, I'm sure they have some project teams. Like I'm sure when they were developing the vaccine, yeah. those people were a hundred percent dedicated to the vaccine. Right. I would, uh, right? I mean, it, it happened really <laughs> fast. So yeah. I would think, so. but at least in my organization, we're the matrix model. So yeah. that's, that's how, how it works. So it sounds like you prefer that over having direct reports. I do. I absolutely do. So yeah. I think it's sometimes a little harder because again, you have to build those relationships and you have to make sure that your team members trust you enough to come to you. Because mm-hmm. here's the other thing that could have happened, right? In that example I just gave, the chemist is like, oh, my functional manager is telling me I have to work on this. So I'm going to put Andrea's project aside. And then next team meeting, they come in the, to the team meeting and they say, oh, no, I didn't get this done this week because I got pulled into another project. So I can either get notified proactively before, and I want them to come to me and say, yeah, I know I was supposed to do this, but my manager is telling me I need to do this instead of reactively after the fact, and now we're already a week delayed, Yeah, right? I need right. them to come to me in the beginning and say, how is this going to affect the project schedule if I don't work on this this week? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and so then you have to set that expectation so that yes. they know, and then they have to trust mm-hmm. that you will, if there's any kind of conflict, you'll resolve it with their functional manager. Yes. In a way that works for everyone, some sort of compromise. Are most project managers women? No, I think it's very diverse. I'm just thinking about my colleague is a man, the Mm -hmm. other one that we have in my group. No, I think it's, okay. I would say probably there's more men than women. And and it probably depends on the industry too. Yeah, that makes sense. In construction, it's probably mostly men. One of the questions that I like to ask is the ways that you think being female has Mm -hmm. affected your career path or has helped in some ways or has put up roadblocks in others. Yeah, I can only think of one instance where I felt like gender really played a role in something that was negative. It was when I was pregnant with my daughter. The reason I took that share was because the manager that I had at that time was very misogynistic. (laughs) And I had come back from maternity leave and unbeknownst to me, been demoted. 
What? He basically told me on my first day back, I was now reporting to one of the other project managers who was a man (laughs) who had been my peer. So while I didn't get a cut in salary or grade level, I was effectively demoted because I wasn't reporting to him. So all the other project managers reported this guy. And I asked him why. And he said, well, this, the person he put me under, he needed some management experience, some leadership <laughs> experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And he, the weird thing was that he had three daughters. And yeah. I kept thinking to myself, would you want someone to treat your daughters like this? Yeah. When I left, when I took that job share and I left, he said to me something to the effect of, oh, I don't understand. He said something like, I went easy on you while you were pregnant. Something to that effect. And I looked at him and I said, I never asked for special treatment. Right. Right. You know, it was just bizarre. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, in some sense, the fact that that was the one thing that you can recall that was really Mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah. Is incredible. Yeah, I will say being a woman in engineering, when there weren't a lot of women in engineering, not as many as today, I Mm -hmm. do think that that helped me. Being a woman in a field where women were probably only about 35 to 40% of the field was an advantage for me in some ways. Right. So if a workplace wanted to diversify, they could hire you, you had the credentials. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's this sociological research. It's a little bit dated now, but it talks about the feminization of different types of jobs. And there's actual percentages, right? I remembered it because you said 35 to 40%. That's interesting because that's at this point where there's enough women that your competency can't really be questioned because there's that many women, right? Mm As opposed to if there was only 5% women, that's where being in the minority of a particular job would be really hard because you would be constantly having to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the timing and the kind of job that you got, you entered the workforce at a moment where there were enough women that it didn't disadvantage you and maybe played out to your advantage. Yep. I also think and this is going to be one of my hills I'll die on, is that I think the whole description that you give about working with this difficult guy and how you have to manage in the matrix and how it's all about relationships, to the extent that women are socialized to be good at communication, relationships, and building trust, women are excellent leaders in these kinds of situations. I will die on that hill with you. (laughs) Excellent. That's why I picked you as one of my first podcast guests, Andrea. (laughs) When Pfizer purchased Hospira, the whole culture is so much better at Pfizer. I mean, it's such a great place to work. They have stated goals for women in leadership and C-suite positions. It's obvious to me, Pfizer, the culture is so much more inclusive Because of the women in leadership roles. Because of the influence. Yep. Yeah. It's not just HR. It's in every area. The head of biopharma is a woman and she's amazing. And my current boss is amazing. I love her. I feel so lucky to work for her. So it's a great place to work and a great culture and very inclusive. And I love that they have goals that are like, we want to get more women in and it's measurable. They have numbers. That's amazing. It's great to hear 
the outcome of that from your point of view, right? That the Mm -hmm. culture is completely different Mm -hmm. when you have inclusive leadership. Yep. So my last question, thinking back on what we've talked about today, what kind of advice would you give yourself at say 24 when you graduated with your master's? Is there something that you would want to tell that young adult version of you? You're not going to be surprised at this advice. I would tell my younger self to believe in herself. Yeah. Because when they handed me that diploma that said I was a chemical engineer when I was 21 and a half years old, I remember looking at it and going, no, I don't know enough. There's no way I can be a chemical engineer. Like, how am I a chemical engineer? And I remember this story when I was a senior and I was doing my last semester and I had been accepted to Northwestern on a full ride scholarship with a research stipend. Incredible. Yeah. And this, graduate student at Iowa where I was getting my degree. She was one of the grad students running one of the labs that I was taking. And there weren't very many of us. My graduating class was, I think, 10 or 12 students Mm -hmm. chemical engineering. So this grad student at Iowa said to me in a very backhanded way, congratulations on getting into Northwestern, but don't be surprised if you're not as smart as some of the other students, because you're going to be up against students from MIT and Caltech and all these really good engineering schools. And that was in my head. She got in my head, Julie. And I remember going to graduate school and thinking, am I smart enough to be here? Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have given me a full scholarship if I wasn't smart enough to be there for crying out loud. Right. (laughs) And that's what it's cool that it came from a female graduate student. Yes, a female graduate student. A female Mm -hmm. graduate student. It's terrible that it got stuck in your head, although I totally get why, right? You're going to a great school. You got a full ride. You're socialized as a woman and this chemical engineering, which is as you said, is predominantly male at the time. And so then you're internalizing these sort of negative statements. Yep. Yep. Wow. And so after I was there at Northwestern for about a semester and I realized I can do this, like this isn't that hard. And I was getting good grades and I was doing well in my research. And I was like, she was just jealous of me. That grad student, (laughs) she was just jealous because she couldn't get into a good school like Northwestern. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But it took me a while to really get to that. And even I would say Mm -hmm. up until probably two or three years ago, I really didn't own all my accomplishments. Right. Right. And so my advice to myself as a 22 year old would be believe in yourself, own your accomplishments and, you know, know your value. Yeah. Yeah. Your value and your worth. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear your story in more detail. I am so appreciative that you took the time to talk to me. And that's a wrap on this episode of her leading story. If you love this episode, Please help me reach more women by leaving a review wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next week.